the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Brothers, sisters, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. So we are now at the eighth lesson in the series uh, on general prophethood. And until now, we presented the an overview of what we call the Nubuwa al-Amma, or general prophethood, and then the topic of infallibility. Uh, and this was the third subtopic under general prophethood, which had to do with the miracles of the prophets. So we began, and the last time we met, by going through the definition and what we mean by a miracle. Uh, and distinguishing it between distinguishing between a miracle and something else, whatever it may be, and we gave a little bit of a detailed explanation on that. And the this lesson is supposed to be uh, providing responses, replies to possible objections to what we presented until now. Uh, so as we mentioned last time, uh, the lesson is structured with four major objections, common objections that we find here and there uh, against this idea of miracles and uh, the responses to them. So before we go into the uh, objections, let's just do a very quick recap of what we said until now about miracles. So we started by saying that the purpose of miracles is to establish the validity of a claim for prophethood, divine prophethood. Miracles, however, are not the only means, the only way to, for someone to say, I'm a prophet of God. We said there are three main ways. The first one is by looking at the character and the history of the person. So if we know someone to be of a certain moral character, and we know their history, we've lived with them, uh, it's documented well enough and it's reliable, given that, and then they come and they say, I am now communicating a message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is valid and it, we can trust it, we can rely on it. But only if those conditions are met, where we're aware of the moral character of the person, we're aware of their history, we're intimately aware of the person, and we can assess ourselves whether someone like that would be telling the truth or not. That's one way. A second way is if we have a prior belief in the prophethood of someone, and that person tells us, they give us a prophecy that so-and-so prophet will be sent afterwards, or they exist in so-and-so place, then I can rely on that prior belief in someone who is, whom I've already established their, their prophethood, being an apostle and messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I can rely on that. The problem with these two ways, however, is that they're, they have shortcomings and they're not always going to be accessible and convincing for the majority of people because how many people can say that they're intimately aware of the history or the moral character of someone uh, who's claiming to be a prophet as well as how many people can say that they have that kind of belief in a prior prophet one and two that they're aware of that prophecy specifically what that prophecy says and that they can actually take that prophecy and apply it in a very specific particular manner to one person in particular so given those shortcomings, the main way that remains after these two to establish the validity of the claim of prophethood of someone is to go through their miracle. 
So what is a miracle? The definition that we gave is made up of a number of components that when we put them all together, we have what we're calling a miracle in the theological sense, in the sense that we need to establish the validity of the claim of property. First of all, we said that it's either an event or an act that happens that breaks away with what is customarily the manner in which such an act should happen. So the end result, there are natural laws, there are not natural causes that are usually used that are the means to reach that end, usually. In those cases, those events or those acts completely break away with that. So that's a first component. So this is what we call a supernatural act or a, an extraordinary act, okay? That's one component of it. A second component of it is that this is occurring with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we're not going to repeat, there's a discussion in the books of theology whether it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly performing the miracle or is it the Prophet or the Messenger who's performing it. We're going to leave it at that for an hour so as not to repeat too much and simply say it's occurring with God's permission. Third point is by someone who's claiming to be a Prophet. And this is going to be key and we're going to come back to that today. Because sometimes we are going to have events by people that are considered extraordinary and we can even say that they are with God's permission or that the divine acts, godly acts, and yet the person is not claiming to be a prophet. So no one should come and use that event, that supernatural <coughs> act, as a proof for the prophethood of the person, which unfortunately happened in history. <coughs> And finally, all of this, that's why we say the, per the person is claiming to be a prophet, therefore it is establishing their prophethood. It needs to be for that purpose. The miracle needs to be for the purpose of establishing prophethood. And here's where we said we're going to distinguish between acts that are supernatural, extraordinary, but still do not fit or respect or fulfill some of those conditions. And sometimes the acts even will be godly and divine and still will not meet all the conditions. So we added a few distinctions, a few criteria that will help us further identify, distinguish a miracle in the sense that we're using it, a prophetic miracle establishing the validity of the claim of a prophet versus anything else. So we said one way, one criteria to determine that is to see, is this something that anyone can learn or teach or not? If I can learn it from anyone else, it cannot be a divine miracle in this sense. And if I can teach it to anyone else, then it's not a miracle in that sense. So that's the first criteria. And you know, some of the objections we heard, they fall in there. You could spend time with someone, even if it's 10 or 50 or 100 years, with someone and they practice whatever they're practicing, or they teach you some of the secrets of their performance and you will learn it. There's no impossibility there. As for the miracles of the prophets, they can't teach them, and no one can learn them from them because that's not the type of knowledge that they are. The second part is that we said they are always overpowering because they are representing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His will to make sure that there is a clear evidence, a manifest proof for the people that this is actually someone sent from God. So there cannot be any confusion. So there, if there's anyone who can come and match that type of miracle, then it's not a miracle in this sense. That's what we mean by saying it's overpowering. Nothing can be close to it. There can be no room for confusion, mix-up, ambiguity. And we said in the definition, sometimes we add a fourth 
we find a fourth component in the definition of a miracle, the theological definition of a miracle, which is that it has a challenge function. Okay, it challenges the people. I dare you to come, I challenge you to come with a proof to come up with a, an act or an event that matches what I'm doing. In the classic definitions, this was always there. Recently, some of our scholars are going away from that, but what I'm saying here is it's included in it. Okay, so if we say it's overpowering in this sense, then of course there's a challenge function in it. It's implied. The prophet doesn't necessarily need to say. Whether they say or not, it's implied. Because it's overpowering. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has this event or this act in place to make it clear to everyone that this is from him. And it cannot be from anyone else. This is the overpowering component, which in one way could be understood as a challenge function. And then finally, we have, we need the claim for prophethood. So sometimes we're going to find both other. So you may have someone who performs acts like a yogi, they're extraordinary acts, but you could learn them. You could spend some time with that person, becoming their pupil, their student, and they, you will learn those acts from them, for instance. And sometimes you will find those acts from people who fit the bill completely in terms of being godly, saint, awliya people, but none of them claim to be a prophet. And so if you see something from them that breaks away with what is customary, so a, a miracle, something supernatural, we usually call it karama, a grace or a divine favor, and we don't refer to it as a miracle, to distinguish between what they're doing and what a prophet is doing because there is no claim of being a prophet. So, you know, in summary, this is what we've covered and we've, we, what we've said up till now. I think it's important to have this in mind now so that we can go into the main objections against this. So objection one. The main objection is that when we go about in the world, whatever we encounter, given enough time, we feel that human beings can get behind it and understand the causes used to allow them to reach that end. Human beings spent enough time researching, investigating, and given enough time, they will reach the means through which they can have that act give them certain ends, certain results. If we look at miracles, the objection says, if we look at miracles, we're saying one of two things. We're either saying that miracles do not respect the law of causality, that's one, or we're saying that they respect them but we haven't discovered the causes yet. So if we are given enough time, then we will discover those causes. Or we're claiming that the miracle simply breaks away with the law of causality, and this we have all maintained throughout this series and other... And we have always maintained that this principle, this law cannot be broken. So are we saying that miracles break away with the law of causality? That's the objection. So either we're saying miracles break away with the law of causality, one, or two, if they're not breaking away with them, then we just need more time. It might be a million years, but we need more time until we can discover the causes behind those miracles, okay? So the answer to this. First of all, and here, the fallacy is here, before we, I go into all of this, if you understand the fallacy, then the rest is very easy. The fallacy is, it could be an intentional or unintentional, it could be a, a mistake, an innocent mistake. 
No one has ever said that the miracle is breaking away with the law of causality. What it's breaking away with is, that's what we've repeated, it's the customary way for human beings to reach a certain end, which are the normal laws of nature. The miracle breaks away with the typical laws of nature, which are accessible to human investigation. Given enough time, yes, human beings can do their empirical research through their sensory perception and through their reason, and they will find some way, they will find a way to reach, to understand the laws of nature, the causality in the sense of empirical causality, the laws of nature. This is very different from saying that human beings will understand all causality. That they will understand every which way that an event is possible. There is a difference here. The claim, what the, the law of causality as it is understood by those people, is that this is the only causality possible. And we're saying, no, this is too restricted. If by causality you mean the laws of nature and things that are discoverable to human beings, by human beings, then we have an issue. This is too restricted. There is more causality than what human beings can discover. Human beings have tools, and those tools are limited. They don't have access to everything. You can't investigate everything. You can't do... Uh, you cannot keep doing empirical research and experimentation to discover the causality behind everything. There are things outside of that. So if we say that something is supernatural, it may be breaking away with the typical laws of nature, the empirical, let's call them, laws of nature, but it's not breaking away with the law or the principle of causality. We're not saying that there is no cause. We're saying the cause is not something you can discover with the means given to you as a human being. So to understand the event taking place at the hands of the Holy Prophet, or Musa salam, or Yusuf salam, or Isa salam, the means, the tools you have, your reason and your sense perception are not sufficient. You will never be able to reach that causality with the means that you have been given. Okay? So one is, how are we defining law of causality? So we're not saying that causality is only limited to natural laws, one. Two, the tools that we have been given as human beings are too <coughs> limited to allow us to discover all possible causality. There is more causality that is outside, beyond our capabilities and what we have access to. Here the author also mentions a quick point I, I don't know if it's you know a strength or a weakness here, but he mentions it, so I'll mention it quickly. I guess for someone, it's one sentence and it's passing and it may be interpreted differently. Um, but he says, you know, we would have to look at other extraordinary or supernatural acts and see what do we do with them. Are we considering them as breaking away with the law of causality or not? So that would only be valid for someone who agrees, who accepts, that there are supernatural laws, extraordinary acts taking place in the sense that we have described. And then we have to see, is this someone who says this is, therefore there's an objection and this is breaking away or not breaking away with. Otherwise, I think the majority of cases will not work with this argument he adds here, which is, you know, what do we do with the other supernatural uh, acts or extraordinary acts? Are they breaking away with the law of causality or not? 
Okay, so he's basically saying there is more than that we don't understand that it doesn't necessarily break away. But I think in a lot of cases, everybody says, well, given enough time, we will discover those. Because they don't fall in the same category as the miracles we're talking about. Anyways. Um, so here, the main argument, the main answer is that we agree that human beings have been given, provided with tools to do investigation and to discover causality in nature. Our claim and our belief is that no matter how much investigation they do, the causes leading to miracles will never be discovered. And given what we've said, this should be clear by now. Okay, so we're saying that no means that has ever been given to a human being will allow them to understand the causality behind the miracles in the sense that we use them, which is miracles that establish the validity of prophethood. We don't have any way to get to those. So if someone says, no, we just need more time to discover the laws of nature that allow those miracles to take place, no, that's not the case. More time to discover them, if they're discoverable, they're not miracles in the sense we're talking about. There's not enough time, no matter how much time you're given, you will never understand how Musa salam was, you know, touched the, the sea and it completely opened into two mountains of water for Bani Israel to walk through, for instance, or how his cane becomes a, a serpent. There's nothing that we have that would allow us to discover that. End of story. And if that were the case, then these would not be divine miracles. They would not establish the validity of the prophethood of those people. So they're not temporal. It's not that it was a miracle a thousand years ago and today it wouldn't be. Okay, so there are people who think that is the case. Our belief is no, that's not the case. Regardless of how much time you would give, that would still be a miracle. The issue is, and this is something I mentioned, but I'll mention it again. The issue is we have to look at at the act from every component, from every aspect. We can't only look at the end and say, you know, someone said, uh, I don't know, light can come out of the hand of someone, and now we have a means mechanically or chemically or, or to create light from the hand of someone, therefore that's a miracle. No, no, it has to be the same conditions. Do it in the way that they did it. If you meet all the conditions, you would not be able to replicate what they did in the manner that they did it. That's the claim, yeah. So say the... Forgive me for being late, you mentioned this already. Uh, so the prophet's miracle, but the prophet's act that cannot be replicated exactly the same way it was done is considered a miracle. Is that considered also cause and effect though? Like would his cause be, he did dua and therefore he made the snake, let's just say. Mm -hmm. So does a miracle, as recognized as a miracle, under the laws of cause and effect, it is? Yes. And but the, the cause would just be a dua rather than a mechanical cause. It would be something that is not available to us. Okay. But still consider dude. Oh, okay. And so this is, that was my last point here, the cause. I want to go back oh. to a point which I said, we are not saying there is no causality. And we're not saying that there is no law of causality or principle of causality mm -hmm. at play. And we're not saying that this is random. And we even said even the person performing the act, according to some of our scholars, the vessel to that act, and that's why there is this whole discussion about whether it's Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala performing the miracle entirely, or does the person, 
the, the person of the prophet play a role in that miracle. Some of our scholars say the vessel also plays a role. Okay? Regardless of all of that, the point is, this does not break away with the principle of causality. There is still causality. It's just beyond human capability to understand. That's all we're saying. Okay? And here the last argument is, you know, someone might say, yeah, we may be able to reach it, but we would reach it supernaturally. So maybe there is a way to understand the miracle, but without following the natural means. Well, in that case, we fall back to, so therefore it is a miraculous means of knowing the truth. If the Holy Prophet has a way to make someone he wants to make them understand through another miracle, how that miracle works, then that is another miracle in itself. So it doesn't, it's not, it would not be a valid objection against the idea of a miracle taking place at the hands of a prophet, okay? To, to know how it works, if that were the case. And here there's a, I mentioned it very quickly, I just wanted to give you, in case you wanted to, to go back, that they're not random. The hadith that I mentioned, there's a few of them, but the one that I was talking about was uh, Imam al-Rada It's mentioned in Bihar al-Anwar, volume 11, page 71. And it's also mentioned in Ilal al-Shara'i'ah. It's actually the same one with one sentence that is different, uh, page 52. <clears throat> and so you have Ibn al-Sakid who comes and asks Imam Rada salam about how come Prophet Musa salam had so-and-so as his miracle, and then Prophet Isa salam had different things, and the Holy Prophet had different things. And Imam Rada salam answers by telling him, at the time of Prophet Musa, the people were starting to see that magic was becoming very sorcery and magic were becoming very prominent, very influential, and those people were very powerful in society. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Prophet Musa with this type of miracle. So it's compatible with the needs of the time. So the miracles are contextual in this manner. It's not that it's not, it wouldn't be a miracle today. It's that today, based on something mentioned at the end of that narration, the type of the miracle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would want to send to the people would be different. Because the gauge, the criteria that people use today to establish something like, is this person really sent from Allah, is different. So at the time of Jesus Isa Imam Rada says, and the plagues and the diseases and the illness of people were such that they needed medicine the most. So Isa was sent with miracles Miracle, that would to. fall under medicine, medical miracles. So bringing people back from the dead, making them see after they were blind, right? And so on and so forth. The third is the Holy Prophet. And he says, Imam says, in his time, it's the word. It's the oral word that became the strongest and the most important at the time of the Holy Prophet. So he was sent with the Holy Quran. And then he asks the Imam at the end, he tells the Imam, and what about now? And he tells him, now, and so I would add to this, the now, I would add to it, and until Yom Al-Qiyamah, and now what is important and the criteria that people have is their aql, which brings us back to the Quran. Meaning that this is a component of the Qur'an that is going to remain miraculous. Inshallah we'll come to that in the second phase of the prophethood, the second part of prophethood, when we'll talk about the Holy Qur'an. But he says, and now you use your mind, you use your reason to establish the validity of everything we've said. You don't necessarily need the material, physical, ma'ajiz, miracles that were needed in previous times. 
Society has matured, reason has matured enough to use to be used directly to establish the validity of the claim of someone saying, I'm sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so that's the narration if you want to go back to it and, and see. It's Bihar al Anwar, volume 11, page 71. There's a few narrations there, but there's others, and Ilal al-Shara as well. And the rest I think we already covered. Was there a question? Um, but if you can see the story, said, uh, the cause is never going to be discovered like scientifically? Yes. It, because of the physical world or the metaphysical world? About it, or within it, of course, we will never discover the metaphysical world, but the physical world, the scientific world, we can discover how such thing is possible in theory, but never like proven. But in theory, we can actually see how the atom or electron or neutron or whatever like to that. If you go, if we, thousand years from now, we find out all the metaphysical properties, we'll find out how it is even possible or how it can be replicated if the right molecule were manipulated, for example. But yes, of course, the final, the final cause, because the final cause is about the infinite, and we can never even touch the infinite, right? So that, in that sense, it makes sense, you think? Yeah, but it's the breaking away. The issue with the miracle is, is it breaking away, breaking away is it from the, the natural. Even for the physical world? Yes, it's it's breaking away with everything that we have access to. I have access to meaning yes. metaphysical, metaphysical world, not the physical okay. And this is the part that I would say, it's almost a moot, because that would never be the case that we have access to that other one. No one can have access to it. You did the same uh, definition of this whole world is basically miracle because we can never actually get to the actual cop. But that's uh, a never. But that's a never. We can never get to. So what do you mean by never? Never absolute? We never can actually see what caused this world. We can never even scientifically prove that the world came into existence, right? So that, that would be part of the definition of not miracle, not a claim of prophethood, but it's a karama, uh, uh, I don't know what to call it. Yes. It's ordinary thing, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, objection two. So this is basically repeating the same thing we said in objection one. So someone is saying, how can you believe in miracles? How can you accept miracles? We, we should not be accepting miracles, but for completely different reasons. In objection one, it's a, re, it's a rational reason. We're saying it does not make sense for someone to believe that there is a way to break away with the law of causality. Objection two, we're still saying the same thing, but the reason we're saying it is not because of reason. We're saying you can't break away with the law of causality because the Quran says you can't break away with the law of causality. So it's a scriptural proof. It's not a rational proof. So now we're saying the Quran says there are laws that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created and put in place, and those laws are immutable. They're unchangeable. They're fixed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Holy Quran, and we have some verses here, Surah Al-Isra, verse 77, Surah Al-Ahzab, ayah 62, Surah Al-Fatr, 43, there's a few of them. They all seem to be saying with these words, لَمْ تَجْدَ لِسَنَّةِ اللَّهِ لِسَنَّتِنَا In what verse? لِسَنَّتِنَا تَبْدِيلَ And in other verses, لَمْ تَجْدَ لِسَنَّةِ اللَّهِ تَبْدِيلَ And another one, تَبْدِيلَ وَلَمْ تَجْدَ لِسَنَّةِ اللَّهِ تَعْوِيلَ there will, you, can, you will never find any change to the sunnah, let's call it the way of Allah, to the law of Allah, to the rule of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will never find any transformation to it or any change to it. So if that is the case, the claim is, these are referring to the law of causality. 
in one way or another, and you're saying that miracles break away with this. So it's incompatible with what the Quran itself says. The Quran says there are laws in place and they can never be changed. So, and I think I already covered the rest. So the verses. <coughs> are the verses actually saying what this sunnah or cause is? So the same answer as we gave the first time. If someone comes and says, my understanding of heat is that it comes from the light of the sun. Okay, that's true. Heat does come from the light of the sun. But is there no other way to get to heat? And maybe motion with time, we discover that motion can also give us heat. Not only the light of the sun. So the issue is not that causality, it's is causality restricted to what you think it is? So in this case, again, your claim is that the verses are talking about the natural laws of nature that are discoverable by human beings. And you're saying that when the Quran says, you will never find any change in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You, you're talking about the laws of physical nature that are available and accessible to us through our five senses and our reason. So we say once again, the verses are not referring to only the laws of nature that are discoverable to human beings. There is more than that. And as we explained previously, we're not denying causality. We're saying that this causality is beyond our human capability. That's all we're saying. Okay? So, that's one part of the answer or one answer that we can give. The second one is, if we look at the Holy Quran itself, there are multiple verses, dozens of verses, that are clearly talking about referring to miracles. Things that completely break away with the natural order of things. So you cannot come back and say the Quran says, the law of nature remains as is, unchanged, and everything that happens must be explainable through the laws of nature. And in fact, just between us and this one, it's this is actually something that some Muslim scholars started saying over the past century. Okay, we've had some Muslim thinkers who said basically that if you read the Quran in a certain way and with the knowledge that we have and the way we see how science is progressing, we are going to be able to discover all the laws of nature that will also allow us to reinterpret all the miracles scientifically. This is the reason why this, the, the author is spending time. He doesn't mention this. But if you understand what some of our thinkers have put in, there are entire tafasir written this way. So read the whole tafsir and explains one miracle after another on how this is a, you know, logically, we could use the laws of nature to explain what happened there. So this is in reaction to it. So here we're saying we're maintaining the miraculous nature of the miracle. Regardless of how much scientific progress there will be, the verses of the Quran that are talking about miracles, their point is specifically to talk about miracles. The Qur'an is emphasizing that there are things beyond the empirical world, the material world. And one of the reasons why it mentions and it insists on miracles is specifically that, to make people see that there is more than what you see with your eyes and feel with your senses. So you cannot come back and deny all of these miracles in the Holy Qur'an. And then the author adds to this a second layer to this argument. And he says, in fact, if there's anything we can say, by looking at those verses, is that the Qur'an is establishing a law. 
It is establishing a universal law under causality, if you want to call it, which is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will break away, the prophets will break away with the physical laws of nature and go towards supernatural events and supernatural acts, miracles. This is in itself a law. You cannot just say causality as we understand it in the limited material world is the only law of causality. Yes, there, are, there is a causality under there, but there's also a causality that help us understand the supernatural. That the supernatural or the miraculous is still taking place under a causality, it's just not accessible to us. And the part that he doesn't add, so I'm adding this one here, is we need to go back to those verses, and that's why I said the claim. And he doesn't address this in the lesson. But those verses, are they really talking about the law of causality? So I don't think I, I put any here, and we don't have time to go through them. But if you go specifically, let's say, to those three verses, Surah Al-Isra, Ayah 77, Surah Al-Ahzab, Ayah 62, Surah Al-Fatr, Ayah 43. If you go to these verses, <coughs> where there, there is a mention clearly about لَمْ تَجِدَ You will never find any change to this law, to this way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to look at the verses before. What's the context of these verses? And what you will discover, very interesting, I think, it's actually talking about, and I want to leave that to you, I don't want to give you the interpretation, but you'll see that it's talking about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dealt with the people who rejected the prophethood of their prophets. How they tried to treat their prophets, how they denied, how they rejected the truth, the guidance, the ayat, the signs and the miracles, and what happened to them. This is where, and then the verse comes and says, and you will not find a change to the way of Allah. The way of Allah is fixed. Okay, so the, the ayah, the verse is even more relevant now, because it's specifically talking about prophethood. But to me, there's another law that is being explained here. It's not the laws of nature in the sense of the physical world, now we're being introduced to laws that today we would call the philosophy of history. How history works. How society or sociological laws work. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do with a nation that rejects the truth when the truth has been presented to it in a certain way? And you will never find a change to that law. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates a precedent and maintains that throughout history. That does not change. If you become one of those nations that acts in a certain way, then the outcome is very clear. You've fallen under this law now. So, is there causality? Yeah, it's a law. It's a cause and effect. It's just not the one that they're talking about here in the objection, when they're saying that miracles break away with the natural causality. This is natural, not in the sense of the physical world. This is natural in the sense of the history and the sociology or society, societal component of the, of the world. So, you know, uh, the idea that the uh, miracle cannot be replicated, like the way I'm understanding is that the, for me, I'm completely ignorant of how a television works. To me, it's as much of a miracle as if you were to like levitate right now. Mm -hmm. I, right now, so how, I don't know. I don't know how the TV works, but I don't know how. But the fact that it, I, I, you can replicate it and, you can, and everyone else it makes it no longer a miracle. Today. Today, for me, even. Yes. For somebody else, it's not a miracle to begin with because he can know the cause and effect of it. Yes. 
Okay, so that's why that I think that point is so important. The fact so, that it can be replicated. Yeah, so replicated now. Yeah. And then replicated, let's say, potentially. Ever. In theory, yeah. in 10,000 years. Yeah. Or in 1 million years. That's the point. Yeah, because if I saw TV a hundred years ago, I would think it was a miracle because it couldn't be replicated. Yes. But then I fast forward a hundred years, now it's replicated by you know hundreds yeah. of millions, if not billions of people. Yes. So, so it takes away, it takes the, away the miracles. Yes. That's why the prophets, <laughs> miracles can never be replicated. Otherwise, it'd be as mundane as a television. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Point. I, ha I have to ask you something about maybe at the end. Sure. Maybe, but you know, the Quran is always described as a miracle. You have to hear the Quran. It's always this hadith of the Quran itself is a miracle. And in my book, because my Arabic is not that great. But it is not that great. And, and also, also sort of like this, the Quran challenges if you can create a verse like it. Okay, but I can like create a verse like it, for example, in the name of God, the most merciful, the most powerful, the most, a few extra names. And that seems like a verse that could fit in the Quran and it wouldn't lose its structure. Like it wouldn't seem like out of all the 6,000 verses, you'd be able to pinpoint, okay, this one, yeah. that's the one Hassan Musa wrote. So what, I don't but does the, the Quran we're gonna have we're, we're gonna we're gonna dedicate we're gonna dedicate a lesson just to the Quran and the You're skipping prophets who brought skipping Imam <laughs> this is no no this is this is the next part so this mm -hmm. is the first part of prophethood which is general prophethood your question now is about specific prophethood so you're talking about the one miracle of one prophet which is the most important to us yeah. but we're gonna dedicate time to explain how is it how is the Quran miraculous in what way <laughs> and the Quran never says bring one verse what does it say. It says you have to bring one like it, okay. the whole Quran. Oh, okay. Or you have to come I'm up with a few. Tricky. Yeah, we, you can come up with ten verses. I can come up with it. But there's something in there. Yeah. Okay. Although it still refers to every part of the Quran as a verse, as a sign. There's something about the cohesiveness of two together. You can put words together and call them a verse, but they need to link in the same way the Quran links it, its verses together. You have to link them together in that manner. Anyways, we'll come back to that. It's yeah. an excellent question and, and a yeah. huge topic. We'll get some agile with your patience, John. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Third, third, third objection. The third objection is if we have, if you have claimed that the whole, that miracles are the best way to establish the validity of the prophethood of someone, then how come do we find in the Quran itself? Verses that clearly state, that clearly give us the impression that the Holy Prophet did not give the miracles to the people when they asked for them. So repeatedly they would come to the Prophet and ask for certain things and the verses of the Quran clearly state that the Holy Prophet did not fulfill their demand. They asked for a miracle and the Prophet says, I'm not going to give you the miracle you're asking for. So if miracles are so effective, and so reliable to establish the validity of his claim, how come the Holy Prophet is not meeting their demand, respecting their demand, and creating, granting them their, their wish through the, the miracles? And here we have a number, if you want to go back to the verses, again, we don't have time to go through all of them, Surah Al-An'am 37, Yunus 20, Surah Al-Ba'ib 7, Surah Al-Anbiya verse 5, and I'm going to mention Surah Al-Anbiya at the end to add another counter-argument to this uh, claim. So if we read Surah Al-Anbiya verse 5 specifically, what does it say? 
Rather, they said, they are confused nightmares. So now they're talking about the, the verses of the Quran when the Holy Prophet is, is reciting them to them. They say, they said, they are confused nightmares. Rather, he has fabricated it. Rather, he is a poet. So they came up with one excuse after another for not believing. And then they said, let him bring us a sign like those sent to the ancients. Okay. The main counter, the, the main answer, the main response, the main counter argument to this is that we have to distinguish between the purpose of the miracle and what these people are asking for. These people are asking for a way to disprove. They're looking for something to show that the Prophet was incapable of, he failed in our challenge to him, therefore he's not sent from God. Because regardless of what he will bring to them as a sign, as a miracle, they will not believe. They're not asking for the truth. What they're asking for is they're playing a game. They challenge the Prophet with something, and unless he does it like they asked for, then he failed and therefore he's not sent from God. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not play that game. And this is, inshallah, we're going to read a few verses. There's a lot of them in the Quran. We'll just read a few of them to show the tone which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes with people who want to play this game with the, with the prophets. Yeah. Sorry, say that. Keep interrupting. Richard Dawkins, I saw in a live debate, and he says exactly what you said. So the, the person he was debating said, What if right now you were to witness Jibreel and the angels and something right ahead of you, right before you? Mm -hmm. Would you then accept God? He's like, no, because it's far more probable that you put some hallucinogens or some uh, those drugs that make you what's it called? Hallucinate. Yeah, to hallucinate. To yeah. hallucinate. There's a term, something come. There's drugs that people use like hash, those yeah. kind of drugs. That, psychedelics. Yes. That, yeah. Maybe it's more likely you put psychedelics in my drink, and it made me envision this. That's more likely than there being a God who sent his yeah. angel. So the Holy Quran is saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not play that game. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a miracle for what purpose? And this is another point here. So we have to go to the purpose of the miracle. So one is distinguished between are you looking for the truth or are you looking for to play a challenging game? That's one. Two, what's the purpose of a miracle? The purpose of a miracle is to give enough evidence for someone who's reasonable, logical, to say, yes, this person is actually sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's it, that's all I need. It's not to force people to believe. It's not to take away the, the ambiguity of maybe, of course maybe, of course someone can come up and with a million excuses, but at the end you're supposed to put it all together and say, given all of this, what's the probability? Where should I put my faith, given everything I have seen from this person? What are they calling me to do? And have they provided enough proof for what their claim or not? That's the only purpose of a miracle. It doesn't become, uh, this is the other point is, you don't want to dilute the purpose of the miracle. You don't want to make it into something meaningless. You want to keep it something very special that happens on an exceptional basis so that people understand something exceptional just happened. And I always think about this and say, how come those miracles were actually reported through history. From everything that happens to all of the humanity, it's not everything that's reported. It has to be so exceptional and so rare that people keep a, a historical record of it. And it makes a difference. And there are people who follow that. And it becomes a something instead of a nothing. 
because it's too diluted and it happens all the time for every personal desire, right? And this is the other thing. So if you start asking for things, are those things just gonna go away or are you gonna benefit from them personally? Like they asked, they wanna get wealthy and they want to live in gardens and they want, that's not the purpose of the miracle. It's not to change your, your state and to make, suddenly make you wealthy overnight. So you wanna use it for some sort of personal gain. Okay, that's not the purpose. So these are, generally speaking, that's the answer to, to, this, uh, to this objection. So if we go into some of the verses of the Quran, we see this uh, chapter 26, so it's shot up. These are the signs of the manifest book, Tafsin Mim. These are the signs of the manifest book. You are liable to imperil your life out of distress that they will not believe. So this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking to the Prophet that you want to kill yourself because they're not believing. You don't know what to do. You have so much distress, you're so worried about them that you're about to, to die. Okay, that's what, the, and again, we said this is praise to the Holy Prophet, not blame of the Holy Prophet. If we wish, we will send down to them a sign from the sky before which their necks will remain bowed down in humility. The issue is not, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the issue is not that I can't send a miracle that is so manifest to them that it came from me, but that would defy the purpose. The point is not for people to be forced to believe. There is a free will in there, and we've already done that. And this, so you have to put these verses together. Another verse says, Indeed you wonder, while they ridicule. So Allah subhanahu wa is telling the Holy Prophet, when you see the signs, when you understand the revelation, you are amazed. You are in awe. Right? Indeed you wonder. You're in wonder at the beauty, the majesty, the grandeur of what's being revealed to you. And in response, what, what do they do? For the same thing, the same thing is from Allah, coming down to the people. The Holy Prophet, the Quran tells the Holy Prophet, you wonder while they ridicule. And when they are reminded, they do not take admonition. And when they see a sign, they turn it into mockery. And they said, this is nothing but evidence sourcing. Okay, so are these people worthy of more miracles? Or as the Quran, the tone is saying, I've already given to them enough evidence. If they want to believe, there's enough evidence. More verses. The hour has drawn near. So this is the beginning of Surah Al-Qamr. The hour has drawn near and the moon is split. If they see a sign, they turn away and they say an incessant sorcery. They denied and followed their own desires and every matter has a fixed setting. There have already come to them sufficient reports containing deterrence, a far-reaching wisdom, but the warners are of no avail, so turn away. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet, that's it, I've given them everything they need. If they wanted to be warned, they should have been warned. If they wanted to be deterred, I gave them enough to be deterred. Nothing else is going to work. And if we go back to the verse that was mentioned in the objection, when the verse says, this is what they're saying, again, let's go back to the context of that verse. So let's start from a couple of verses, the entire verse and what it says. From the beginning of Surah Al-Anbiya, humankind's reckoning has drawn near to them, yet they are obliviously heedless. There does not come to them any renewed reminder from their Lord, so every time there's a new revelation that comes to people, but they listen to it as they play around, their hearts set on diversions, they're distracted. The wrongdoers secretly whisper together, saying, is not this man just a human being like yourselves? 
Will you give it to the sorcery with open eyes? And then one verse, and then it continues. Rather, they say, they said, they are confused nightmares. Rather, he has fabricated it. Rather, he's a poet. Let him bring us a sign like those sent to the ancients. And the next verse says, No town that we destroyed before them believed. Will these then believe? They, they don't, like, at one point, they ask him to bring down angels. Yes. And now they say he's, he's a man. So it's exactly like he said. So no matter what we're going to say, if you're going to say he's a sorcerer, he's a poet, yeah. he's, he's a he's <laughs> Majnoon, right? he's mad, awful. or he is inhabited by a jinn, or he is mad. Okay? So, and they say the same thing they said about previous prophets. They told him, you're a sahar, you're a Majnoon, you're a kahin, you're <laughs> so on and so forth. So the, if you are not going to believe, the miracle is not for you in the first place. Don't come back to the Prophet and ask for a challenging miracle. Oh, if you turn this entire desert for me into a garden and you fill it with gold and you fill it with silver and you make rivers flow, and then maybe I will believe. No, you won't believe. I've already given you enough. Those who want to believe, they believed. And then if he was an angel, the same of the angel, he's not a man. And that's the other. Yeah, and we didn't even so, go into that. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. but the verses, yeah, here. And this, the Richard Dawkins, they say, what if we all saw the, AJ, the angels? He's like, well, then you're using some screen or you're using There some, you go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let's see. You're no. done. It's a dead end with that person. And here, the last uh, point I quickly to mention. The Holy Prophet, again, two points. The first one is the Holy Prophet had already, in those verses of the Quran, if someone wants to use them against miracles, the Holy Prophet had already established all three ways of proving his prophethood. His moral character was known. And the Holy Quran uses that as an argument. It says, did I not live amongst you my whole life? You know me. You know who I am. Okay, that's one. So that is checked out. First argument. Secondly, the Jews and the Christians were waiting for a prophet. Because he was revealed to them, and they knew. So check again. And thirdly, the miracle, he provided them with miracles. That's why the whole Qur'an, no one can come back and say the Qur'an says, how come the Prophet didn't give them the miracles they were looking for? The last point here is, uh, there was one more. The last point was, so who decides if it's enough proof that has already been given to the people? Because we're saying, there has to be enough manifest evidence given to the people before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically says, no more miracles. You've received enough. Who's the guy? Who's the, who's the decision maker here? Who decides? And the decision is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah knows have these people received enough evidence <coughs> to logically believe or not. Okay, so that's the, the last point. The last objection very quickly. We know that there are instances where there are people who have performed something miraculous. They've performed extraordinary supernatural acts, which allow us to say that those people are related, linked somehow to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have a relationship with God. And in fact, we can say this about all the prophets, about all the messengers. All the miracles allow us to do to say, to conclude, is that there is a relationship, a very special bond, a very special relationship, favor, that has been given to Allah, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to these people. You cannot jump from there and say, and this, therefore, this person is a prophet. 
with a religion that you must follow. That's, that's a jump. All you can say is this person has a very special connection with God and it stops. The miracle does not allow us to say more than that. So don't, don't turn whatever they say into a communication from Allah as though it's a revealed religion that people have to follow. That's, that's where this objection is going. All we can say is there are people who have a very close connection to Allah and in return they are able to perform extraordinary exceptional acts. And that's it. So it does not necessarily mean this person is a prophet in the sense that we have said. The first point here is, and it should be clear by now, but we repeat it. The first point is, we've clearly said, it's not just because someone performs an extraordinary act that they are a prophet. We never said a miracle is simply performing an extraordinary act. That's one. Two, we said that the person who is performing the act must claim to be a prophet sent from God. If they do not, I can't go to that person and say, you are a prophet sent from God, I'm going to follow you. Okay? When you put these two, do, these two things together, and then we go back to the distinctions we made, we fall into the purpose of miracles. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only allow for miracles to happen, but use them? It's to establish clearly for everyone that this person is sent from him. So what are the alternatives to maybe repeat a little bit what we said? What are the alternatives? Either we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to support with a miracle in the sense that we said. Either he's going to support someone who is not a prophet and Allah is supporting them with a miracle. And we say this is impossible because it would confuse everyone. Because now someone who is not a prophet is performing miracles. So we say that does not happen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not allow that to happen. It defeats the purpose of prophethood. Or we say that you have an actual prophet, but who cannot actually establish that they are sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to their people. Again, it would defeat the purpose. So the prophet is not being supported with something that establishes that they are sent from Allah. Okay, so these are the two that we said we don't allow. We don't agree that those would ever happen. So whatever scenario they're describing in the objection, which is, it's an extraordinary act, a miracle, something performed by someone, and all we can say about it is, they have a special relationship with Allah. It doesn't mean that they're a prophet. So if we look at all the prophets, including the Holy Prophet, all we can say is they were very close to Allah. They were very special people because of that bond with Allah. But it doesn't mean that they're prophets in the sense we are wanting to use it so that we establish a religion on its basis. It's just a special bond with Allah. For instance, the Imams, but someone would come and want to worship them. So someone would look at the Imam and say, see, the Imam is just a normal person. They're not a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, the Holy Prophet is of the same kind. The issue of here, of this objection, why is this objection used? What, what are they trying to do with it? They're trying to remove the idea of a religion. So they're saying there are people, the issue is not that miracles happen. In this objection, someone would say, I agree that there are miracles. And I agree that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives these people miracles. So I agree that X, this person, X, 
performs a miracle with the blessing of Allah. But that's all it means, that this person has a special bond with Allah. You cannot then turn that person into a prophet and say they have revealed a message to human beings and they need to follow that message. They're just special people. Individually, they're special. Don't turn that into a religion. And this happens if you read some works, some psychologists, some people who look into the paranormal and so on and so forth. They have said there are people who are spiritual geniuses and they have a bond that they can connect themselves with the universe, right? The, the mysticism and, uh, is all there, but explained in a different way. So whatever this person is feeling is no different than the yogi or me sitting in my basement trying to meditate and I feel that the universe talked to me. I have my relationship, this person has theirs. But that's it, it stops there. So we agree, this person agrees that there is a bond and that person is special in that way. They're superior to others spiritually because of that. But this does not make them a prophet in the sense that we want to use it theologically and build a religion on it. And so we're saying, no, it's not as simple as you're saying. Okay, the issue here is either you're talking about someone who is not a prophet and you're saying that they have been supported by Allah with this kind of miracle and we say that's not possible. Or we're saying this is an actual prophet. Are you saying that prophets are not supported with this? This would not be possible either because it would defy the purpose of prophethood. It would defy the hikmah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not create a situation for humankind where it's so confusing for people to know the truth. That would not work. It defies the purpose. Okay? Yeah. So it seems like the shaitan is so uh, clever say, that even through a good amal, like yeah, mysticism or spirituality, yeah. he can get you to shirk here even. Yeah. So like for example, let's say the, the ajr of praying in jama'ah is tenfold more than praying by yourself. But you become almost a worshipper of that. You feel more special when you're on your own. You become like a worshiper of that yeah. feeling. Yeah. And we have a hadith. It's yes. yes. so tricky. And rather than just doing it in jama'ah, where you get more ajr. But no, but you rather do what you want. Yeah. Rather than do what Allah wants. Yes. And therefore you end up worshiping yourself in salah. Yes. When you're trying to worship Allah. Yeah. It's a very good point. Yeah. Okay. Is this something? Yeah. So the objections, I think these are the four objections in this lesson. So I'm not going to recap them. I think we're out of time. And with this, we have kind of wrapped the topic of miracles. So I've explained them, defined them, said how they work, generally speaking. So again, we are now under the heading of general prophethood. We gave the big lines, the big headings, so that what we said should apply to all prophets. Now, if you want to look at this or that prophet and their miracle specifically, you have to study that under the Nabul al-Khassa. So you have to study this specific prophet. When were they sent? Who were they sent to? What was their miracle? Why was that their miracle? Okay, and so inshallah we will do that, but we're not going to go into any details of the second part of prophethood. Not that detail, except for our prophet, Allah will do that. So what's left in this series um, it's kind of a general overview of prophets. So the lesson is called something like the characteristics or the traits of the prophets, and then the relationship between prophets and the people that were 
they were sent to. Okay, so those are the two topics left, and all of that falls under the general heading of prophethood, and inshallah we'll be done this series. And then we can start the next one with the Nabuwa al-Khasa, which specifically has to do with our prophet, and our religion, and his miracle. Inshallah there will be 10, ten lessons on, on that, including the Quran being the biggest one of the miracles, and the most important one, and the one we have access to today. Okay, wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli